Neve's solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neve's includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve's solicitors, your complete legal solution. Welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia El And I'm Cathy Weston. A very warm welcome to The Parents Show. We are talking this evening about memory and language and memorising things. Goodness knows, as we get older, Lydia, things do become trickier to it, remember. It, get, it slips away. <laughs> How many of you actually know your own mobile phone number? That's what I would uh, That's correct. love to and know. And obviously our children are constantly coming home with things to memorise. Those blooming spelling tests and spelling words and poems for drama competitions that. and words for plays. And you just think, you just look at it and you think, you sort of dredge up. The way in which you memorise stuff when you were doing your GCSEs or your A-level. And you sort of think it might work. But hopefully, as our guest, our main guest this evening, will be explaining, it doesn't have to be so tricky. That's it. It'd be, and I'm sure all parents would really appreciate some tips on how to encourage your children to m- memorise and, and learn different things. You know, different kind of core concepts in in school and i think we always talk about you know exam technique that that's everything but what is it you know memorizing whether they end up studying you know medicine at uni or they're doing their gcse or even learning their spelling tests at primary school what is the technique that's optimal that's what we're after tonight definitely and i came across aaron um he was recommended to us as a guest aaron ralby who'll be our main guest tonight who's the ceo of linguisticator which is very exciting. You've got to check out the website while we're talking to him. And it's a Cambridge-based company, so he's travelled all the way from Cambridge to see us this evening. And the company develops online memory and language training programmes, which is terribly, you know, progressive, isn't it? We're all interested in this new technology and how it can be applied to memory and memorising. Aaron trained as a, let me see if I can pronounce this, a medievalist at Cambridge and Cornell. We haven't heard of those universities, have we, Lydia? Have you ever heard of Cambridge or Cornell? No, they're not no, really famous. Not really famous. So he was sort of, you know, got a few qualifications there and spent the last several years re- reviving medieval memory techniques and applying them to learning large and complex subjects like languages. So, Aaron, we'd like to welcome you to the Parent Show. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to see you and to hear a nice American accent. We don't often have those in the studio. Did we get it right? Is it American? Or it, is American. It, is it is American. It is American. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we get into trouble sometimes. Try and remember that. Lydia. Yeah, Try and remember. I've got it. So, Aaron, tell us about yourself and your background and lead us into how you came to establish Linguisticator. Sure. So my, my background is in languages mostly. I did English and German as an undergrad with linguistics. And then I came over to Cambridge and read Anglo-Saxon, Norse, and Celtic for an MPhil. Uh, After that, I went to Cornell um, for my PhD in medieval studies, and I focused on Germanic philology, so history of the Germanic languages and Germanic literature. And after my PhD, I continued working on my languages, uh, modern Icelandic, dialects of, of Germanic languages, and I really worked to... Um, create a systematic way to learn languages for myself and combine both my interest in 
the systematic uh, approach to language with medieval memory techniques that I had sort of uh, come in contact with during my PhD. We're, we're feeling so dumb right now. <laughs> we're going to be so clever by the end. So tell us, look, we need to be reminded, I do, about the medieval period. Could you just remind us when that was? Sure. So it's, it's, um, it's a bit vague when it begins and when it ends, but roughly 500 to 1500. And um, I focused mostly on the early period though the high middle ages as well for for um middle high german and uh, some of the icelandic literature so let's talk about what the medieval people how they sort of approached memorizing which is so interesting so in the, in the medieval period probably the most interesting component of it is that memory wasn't considered a rote faculty nowadays when we hear the word memory we, we tend to shudder because we think of um, boring repetition just drilling things into your head until you have them but during the medieval period um, memory was considered a creative faculty and it was creative not only because you would uh, use creative processes to learn material, but also creative because it was the faculty of composition. So if you wanted to write a book in the Middle Ages, you couldn't, you didn't have things to write down on. So you had wax tablets, um, but that was about it. If you wanted to write a book, you would compose it completely first and then write it down. Which is, I just think that's a brilliant, you know, I, I mean, I think it's such a talent to be able to, it's richer, isn't it, if you can compose something in your head before you write it? Absolutely, but and, it is challenging. And they're talking about poetry and what sort of things would they have been memorizing, large pieces of text, and c clearly stories must have evolved from medieval times. Absolutely. So it's a mix of narrative poetry, uh, scripture, so the Bible, the Psalms, and they would have been composing narrative poetry as well, but also uh, treatises on, on scripture and, and commentaries and that kind of thing. So they were very good at memorizing. Very, very good. And how then did you trace how they memorized things, their actual techniques? How was that possible? So I first came across some of the feats of memory that they would perform. So memorizing all 150 psalms and being able to report any line number of any of the 150. So, for example, if someone were to say, you know, what is line 26 of Psalm 87, that one of these scholars would be able to give that line right away. Um, Thomas Aquinas is uh, he, he would dictate multiple books at the same time to different scribes. So he'd have, you know, three different scribes lined up, and he would dictate three different books at the same time, just sort of cycling through his scribes. So I first came across these feats, and my instant reaction, especially with things like memorizing the entire Aeneid, backwards and forwards, um, my initial reaction was, this is not possible for me. I could never learn to perform these kinds of feats. But then I, I, I found that there were actual writings from the medieval period that describe how to perform these feats and how to actually learn this kind of material in, in a manageable way. And in terms of actually reading a medieval script or something that you're trying to access, so did you have to kind of learn that ancient language and... Uh, well, I, I already had at that point, um, yeah. but um, there are tr modern translations and, and editions of these works, so. Okay, we're not gonna, we, we'll ask for a few Anglo-Norse words or whatever it was later on. Um, so, Lydia. But, and I think a lot of the problem is nowadays with our increasing use of technology that we've become 
so lazy. Our, we use our memory to such a little extent that what you're saying really, it's it's almost unimaginable at the moment, isn't it, to kind of use our memory to the extent that you're describing in the Middle Ages. Absolutely. But the, the truth is that we do actually use our memories to a tremendous extent, but we use our spatial and visual memories rather than textual or numerical. So the whole principle of, of memory uh, as, a, as a skill that you can learn is to take the spatial memory that, that we're all very, very good at and kind of discount because it's so familiar and common to us and apply that to learning textual and numerical information. Text and number are difficult for us to learn because they're, they're made of symbols. So we can't really experience text directly. We have to convert it into uh, actual words first and that then conjure up images, whereas you can see the world around you. And so it's much easier to learn your way through a new space or environment or building or something like that than it is to learn your way through a text. So these memory techniques are all about using that that innate spatial ability to organize information rather than organizing physical things. I think I understand what you mean. I'm not 100% sure. Could you kind of give us an example? Sure. So if you think about your own your own home, it's divided into zones based on function. So you have a kitchen, a bedroom, a bathroom, a living room, and in each zone you then have lots of different things. So in the kitchen you have pots and pans and mugs and forks and knives and all that kind of stuff. And it's easy for us to find the physical things that we want. Uh, even sitting here in this studio you can think of your own kitchen and think of where you keep the forks or where you keep the cups or the mugs or whatever. And we do that because we're, we're very good at this kind of spatial memory. A memory palace, the, the sort of concept of, uh, of memory techniques from, from the Middle Ages, is to do exactly the same thing using physical space, but instead of putting in physical objects, you're putting in pieces of information. So you might, you might uh, come up with mnemonic images that, uh, that words or facts or lines of poetry remind you of, and then use space as a way of, of organizing those mnemonic images. And when you say space, I can definitely can make associations. People can understand the associations between a picture and you're trying to remember a fact. Uh, but when you say space, do you mean virtual space or do you mean... Well, it, it, it can be many different kinds of space. So you can use the memory of your own home. Uh, you could use the memory of a building that you've been to, your school, the place where you work, park, whatever it is. You can use physical spaces that you actually know and embed imaginary images into them. So you can just imagine some kind of image in the corner of your room, and that could signify a single piece of information. Uh, but you could also use virtual spaces, and this is something that, that we're working on right now. So we are um, we have on, on Kickstarter right now, we're crowdfunding a new platform, a software platform for building memory palaces in virtual reality. And what's really exciting about this is that, uh, well, a few things. One, rather than just relying on your imagination, you'll actually be able to see your mnemonic images with your own eyes uh, because you'll be able to see them in virtual reality. So, for example, children who use Minecraft, there's an example of a virtual space that they inhabit. They have their own bedrooms and kitchens and swimming pools, in my kids' case, and underground tunnels and fire pits. So 
applying i'm trying to think of the link between applying you know if, if they could create a room within minecraft for example how could we encourage them say to remember their times tables what's the relationship between the two so you'd have to teach them how to convert information into images first and then how okay. to organize those images within space. But if, if they have their, their sort of bedroom in, in Minecraft and they, it's filled with objects, if those objects represent pieces of information, um, times tables, uh, you know, have a sort of framework for how you would do that. You'd have to set up a few rooms and do it in parallel. Okay. Um, so, so that was a bad example. Well, it's a good example because it, it's, it's one of the examples where you can actually do things that are a little bit more complex than just learning lists of information. And that's what's really exciting about what we're doing is that, um, you can really learn very, very large and, and complex subjects through these spatial memory techniques. And you've mentioned things like learning medical facts if you're a junior doctor or at A-level, I suppose, and things like what, what subjects would you have to learn huge chunks? Well, English lit must be a nightmare. I mean, yeah, uh, paragraphs from plays yeah. and that kind of thing. I mean, when I was doing English for my Leaving Cert, which is the Irish equivalent, I mean, you had to learn word for word every single word of a play and identify sure. by stanza you know by every act and scene so i mean i think kids do that if they're doing yeah, english lit chunks of stuff so take that for an example you have to learn the soliloquy in hamlet so if you wanted to learn let's say you wanted to do you know the soliloquy in hamlet and understand its context in in the play as a whole what you could do is you could set up different rooms for each of the different acts in the play and then you could have locations around each room for each of the scenes. And then you could have a specific spot where you then put the soliloquy itself. And you can then embed a kind of two-dimensional structure where you would have all of the individual lines of the soliloquy, kind of like hanging a picture on the wall. So you've got a room, which is kind of three-dimensional, and then you put a two-dimensional picture on the wall. And you can then... Uh, have in these structures all of the lines in such a way that you can recall them not only in sequence but forwards and backwards and by line number if you're familiar with the room so you have to be very secure in the knowledge of the room don't you and then and and i'm assuming a technique to understand that is that right there's a specific technique you would use or or learn yeah i mean it it, it helps to so on, on those two points first of all if you're just getting started it helps to actually be in the room that you're using because you're you're kind of trying to handle lots of different things at first as you get better at the techniques um it doesn't have to be a room that you know very well. It could be a room that you just kind of remember being once a long time ago. It could be even a room that you've made up in your own head. As you become more comfortable with the techniques themselves, you can use different types of spaces. And, and, and yes, you would want to uh, first really be comfortable with the process of, of going through the different steps of creating spaces, dividing the spaces based on category, setting locations, and then embedding, uh, creating mnemonic Im images and embedding those within the space. That's kind of the, the standard process. I think people are familiar with using mnemonics. Mm. You know, what's that one for the let to remember how to spell because because elephants big, I can't remember big right elephants. What um, is it? Because can always understand small elephants. Yeah. So, so you know that association, say, between the elephant picture and because mm -hmm. children will always remember. So that's kind of the basic level, isn't it? Exactly. Um, 
the the only difference there is that there you have a whole sentence, and in order to get back to the word because, you have to unpack the whole sentence. Whereas when you do, when each element is an image in itself and has a specific location, you can get to the specific piece of information that you want. So if you if you think about language learning, we often learn like you know the classic example with Latin and you, you're you're learning your declensions and your conjugations. If you want to get to you know third person plural, you have to go through the entire list to get there because you've learned it as a list and it's mm-hmm. just it's just one chunk of information in your mind and you have to break it apart and you have to get to the one that you're looking for whereas if each piece of information has its own specific spot you can go straight to that piece of information okay so take french many okay. of us are familiar i'm holding up something which is an enormous piece of cloth with the entirety of the French language on it. We'll have to take a picture and put it on Facebook. So take the verb être, which people, most people will know. So we're trying to teach our children are trying to learn basic French, say, at school. How would we perhaps begin the process of introducing them to the concept of memory palaces for that verb? So the first, the first thing you would do, because most of the time people start with the details, but actually you would start with the context of the verb être okay. to start. So instead of starting with the verb itself, you would start with the verbal system and you would say, okay, these are the regular conjugations and then you need to be and to have. Uh, so we would actually create a space where we would put, you know, you could be a room, it could be a series of rooms where you would then put the regular conjugations and you'd have your three regular conjugations and the verb to be to have and um and the passive and reflexive so you would have specific locations within the room for those different elements so you'd have a, a spot where you'd have ir verbs a spot where you'd have re verbs a spot with uh, er verbs and then you'd have the passive and the reflexive and then a, sp- a specific location where you would have être and avoir and so then you would be able to see être as part of the, the context of a, of a larger system. Right. It really right. only takes a few minutes to do that. Yeah, I can see children being very receptive to that, particularly if there's an online element to it. I can just imagine. Can you, Lydia? I can, but I, I think you'd, I can imagine you'd have to get in quite early to set the patterns of, of, of learning. Is that true? Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, these have, these work for adult learners, um, and uh, and so it's something that let's say you've done a bunch of French before and you have a big vocabulary, but you don't really understand how it all works underneath in the grammar. You can actually go back and build up these systems, and 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 it will sort of catapult you forward in your understanding of the language. So you can kind of retroactively do it. Uh, it is better at the start. And we know some children have exceptional memories, as do adults, particularly children who may be autistic. Some of them have extremely, you know, have, you know, the children who can remember numbers and um, lots, you know. Uh, have you sort of learned from those children and that talent? Yeah, well, one, one of the things that's, that's really interesting is that if you actually look at what's happening or, or sort of um, explore how they're actually capturing these memories. A lot of them sort of subconsciously have their own kind of spatial systems. And so um, it's very similar 
to these techniques that have to be actively learned by the rest of us. Um, but one of the things that's really interesting is that is that over the last few months in Cambridge, we've been uh, testing out these these techniques with dyslexic children, and a lot of them are incredibly creative, incredibly imaginative, and they have no problem whatsoever remembering all of the mnemonic images, creating vivid stories that they remember after weeks without any uh, reinforcement or, or refreshing or anything like that. So it, and, and yet these are, these are the children who have the poorest memories and, and are described as not being able to remember anything. So yeah. I think, I think it's really about learning where your strengths are in memory and learning to apply those strengths to the areas of weakness that you have. So what results are you seeing in these dyslexic? Are they primary or secondary age children? So, so they're, they're aged sort of between 8 and 15. Um, and uh, we typically start with a, a very simple exercise with numbers, uh, just because there's only 10 of them, so it's kind of it's a good place to start. And most of them don't know their own phone numbers, so that's kind of we start with something practical like that. So... Every single child within the first session has learned the techniques and have been able to apply them to learning a phone number, and they're able to do it both forwards and backwards by the end of the session. Some are able to learn multiple numbers and spellings all within their first session. It really depends on, on the child and whether we branch out and, and look at other aspects of the techniques. Um, but the retention rates are really, really exciting as well. So these these children are able to retain the numbers that they learn, basically these random strings of numbers, for weeks uh, without any sort of intermediate uh, uh, sort of uh, review. That's amazing. And uh, so exciting because so many parents have children who are, you know, similar to that. And a lot of teachers just cannot, you know, will, will argue that they cannot remember anything in the classroom, even though they're desperately bright and desperately um, creative, keen and said. creative. So this is wonderful breakthrough, isn't it? I think, I think one of the most exciting things is that in applying the techniques then to spelling, we've seen that we can not only get the children to actively spell words correctly that previously they could not. So sometimes a, a child will copy out a word correctly, and then moments later you ask the child to spell it, and it's completely reverted to their internal system, so whatever wacky spelling they had originally. But then we store it using space and image, and they're able to then actively spell the words correctly, That's which is amazing. very, very exciting. Wow. And even more exciting than that is that then that active, and, and this is something that we're still looking at and working on, but um, but once that active system has been changed and they actively spell the words correctly, when they then see the words in a text, in let's say a new text, in a new uh, environment, they're able to recognize the words right away, whereas before they had been having to sound them out um, as though they'd never seen them. So you've created some a system whereby the the recognition is easier and the retention seems to be easier as well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's for for any parents listening. I mean, this kind of I know it's early days for you, but this kind of technology. You've worked with dyslexic children, but you also worked with autistic children. Um, I haven't done much work yet with autistic children. Yeah. Um, we have a collaboration that we're working on with the Autism Research Center at Cambridge University, and we're working on creating a series of tools to teach nonverbal children with autism how to speak. 
Uh, so that's that's a project that we're we're just getting going right now. So we'll see we'll see what the uh, results of that but are. But your main exciting. focus is dyslexic children at the moment. Um, well, it just has been over the last the last few months, and that really came out of feedback from adults using our memory course okay. and saying, um, you know this is fantastic, uh, I wish I'd had this at school, how does it work with children and how does it work with uh, people who have dyslexia? So we decided to to put out a call for volunteers and and um, actually test out these techniques. So we've been doing this show for five years and I would say dyslexia is the one topic we have struggled to find real, even globally, experts in. And it's there's so much, much controversy over it, isn't yeah. there? And people who are offering solutions. That's that's yeah. the that's been the biggest struggle. I'm sure there I know we've we've kinda of delved into it and have had parents um on talking about the difficulties of it, but it's fantastic. But that it's there the knowledge, solutions. isn't it, about the condition? But also, there's no solution. So this is hope for people who, you know, whose children are in that position. Yeah, and anything that harnesses the talents of children with autism as well is just fantastic. It really, it really is very exciting. And of course, this applies to children who don't have autism or dyslexia just as of just course. as easily. And tell us about your app. I mean, do do children teachers schools parents need training to be able to use it um not particularly there'll be a little bit uh, that will just because conceptually most people don't know what a memory palace is or, or how to use it but one of the things that's really exciting about the the app that we're developing is that we can build in the step-by-step guidance for how to learn specific subjects so the basic principles of memory can be learned really really quickly we could sit down for half an hour and i could show you and 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 you would know it um but then applying those to to really big subjects is is difficult how do you organize the space how do you set your locations and and where do you put everything uh, so what's exciting about the app that we're developing is that we can encode the step-by-step guidance for how to learn specific subjects and have modules for a specific language or a specific uh, medical topic or scientific topic. And people will be able to sign up to those modules and it will take the users step-by-step through the process. And how far along is the app at the moment? So it's it's just being developed right now. So it's very early stage. Um, we have a kind of prototype demo and um, we're, we're building it out in, in three different stages. So the first stage is that we're going to create a free build mode, which will allow people to create memory palaces however they want and for whatever subjects. That won't have the guidance built in, but it will allow people who know what they're doing to to use the, the software. And we have courses online that teach how to, to create memory palaces. So for all of our students who've already done our memory courses, it'll be really, really useful. The next step will be to create the guided modules and then to open it up as a platform for instructors to be able to create their own guided modules. And that's where things get really exciting because, you know, as a, as a small company in Cambridge, we'll be able to, to get things started with some, some really exciting guided modules on, on languages and a few other topics, but um, to open it up to experts from all over the world to create step-by-step guided modules for all different subjects, that's where it gets really exciting. I wow. think my imagination's racing in terms of things like dementia and where memory is, is being <laughs> lost. You know, the potential that somehow you can harness that talent to and work out you know that this it's been so missing hasn't it that 
knowledge about how to harness that talent was there to, to memorize, but it just people didn't have the, the tools to unlock it. Yeah, and, and there have been studies done to show that, um, that, that spatial memory can be very effective in, in combating uh, dementia. So all kinds of exciting things that, and applications that can come out of this for you know, education in general. Um, you know, as you mentioned, this is, this can be used by children who don't have autism or dyslexia. It can be used by adults. Um, and it can be used by, um, perhaps for, for other sort of memory disorders and that kind of thing. We'll see. Well, well shall we have a little break, Lydia? And, um, we'll come back and talk about practicalities. How can people reach you? How can they, if they have a child at home who, you know, has dyslexia and they really want to access the program, how they might do that? Sure. Welcome back to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM and we're having an incredibly interesting show um, this evening talking to Dr. Aaron Ralby who is the CEO of Linguisticator and that's a Cambridge-based company and we've been talking about memory and language training and wow, it feels very exciting. I feel like definitely this point in my life improving my memory would be an awesome thing to do. But also I think being able to have that exam technique you know, and knowing that there's something out there that perhaps we can help children who have poor memory or don't enjoy memorizing. Yeah. I'm really excited about that kind of virtual re- connection between virtual technology, which children love and are obsessed with, and the need to memorize. I think that's exciting. But I even, I love the concept of a, a memory palace. I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's lovely, it's isn't such, it? Even, it's even in itself, is such an interesting concept. Um. Uh, one question I want to ask you, Aaron, is about we used to learn things um, to song. Might it be an Irish thing? Don't know. I can still remember the definition of respiration for my GCSE biology. Um, is that weird, or is there some kind of like what's your what is that? What, what I don't know. What do you make of that? Learning things to song. Well, I, I think song and, and rhyme and poetry are, are definitely created as aids to memory. And if you know, if you go back to the oral traditions, um, you know pretty much everything is going to be in verse and that's and that's because a you know when you have a meter and you have uh, either rhyme or alliteration or some other sort of metrical component like that it does help solidify the language and, and keep it consistent so it is it is an aid to memory um, and if you were to look at how uh, verse was learned in in certain oral traditions it would have both that uh, sort of metrical component but then also a spatial component as well so that kind of rhythm helps children to learn the rhythm and some kind of i don't know rhythm to learning definitely definitely so in terms of if we've got parents which we will be listening who have dyslexic children or children where they're particularly maybe they have a brilliant memory and they'd like to contact you about that and learn Mm. more about it What's the sort of, you're in Cambridge, you're based in Cambridge, but can schools, can parents participate in your pilot work? Absolutely. So so through our website, you can contact us at, at linguisticator.com. And um, there are a few different ways of getting involved. We have all of our courses online there. Uh, we're running a, a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign right now so you can get involved through that um you'll get uh so so as perks for the crowdfunding is um access to language and and memory training courses um and um and yeah so we're we're available for schools as well to do workshops and that kind of thing 
Brilliant. It, it sounds like it is a perfect thing for, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the name. Often schools have a week where they kind Instept. of step. It's, it's, oh, there's another one there. It'll come back to me. My memories fail <laughs> me. We've actually <laughs> got on our Facebook page um, a link to your memory course and to the uh, memory Great. palaces. So that's really exciting. Um, now, we on the topic of schools, Kathy. Yes, we have the lovely Nina Fox now, hopefully on the phone, who is the acting head of languages at St George's School in Harpenden. And I think Nina's been on our show a couple of times before. Oh, goodness me. Sorry. You'd think she was calling from Rio de Janeiro. Are you there, Nina? I, I am. Hi there. Hi. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm, um, I'm intrigued. Um, I'm absolutely <laughs> fascinated by what Aaron's been talking about. Isn't this terribly exciting? Because you're a practitioner. You're in the secondary schools working with pupils who are, you know, trying to learn modern languages every day. And it sounds like Aaron has these amazing techniques that might be of help to you he does and and as teachers we're at, i mean i think um speaking from personal experience we're becoming much more aware of changing the way that we teach especially when it comes to languages and we're teaching you know kids with you know learning difficulties and dyslexia um and we're having to adapt the way that we teach and i know i personally i love using um mnemonics um i regularly uh, come up with silly sentences to try and help them with their verb conjugation. Um, we use a lot of songs as well, especially for etre and avoir. Um, but verb endings, we, we have sentences that we, all of my year sevens and eights will know those and they can, the, the issue they have is they can recite the sentence and like Aaron was saying, the trick now is to get them so that they don't need to recite the whole sentence to get to, you know, the final part when they're trying to conjugate vous or il or elle at the end, the, but they can actually see it. But we are starting to use much more of this sort of visual learning. Um, and, and earlier on, you were talking about learning large passages of text, especially when you get higher up at school at GCSE and A-level. And um, the current GCSE means that pupils are having to learn large chunks of text for essays. Um, and I regularly talk to them about this visual... Um, I, I've, I've done a, a recent training where I've looked at these uh, memory palaces and I talk to them about walking around their bedrooms and visualising the wardrobe being something to do with whether it was where they used to live and their desk is something else. It's where they will live in the future. So I'm definitely starting to use it a lot more. Um, how widespread it is, I don't know. Wow, so it sounds like intuitively you've always been sort of attracted to those memory techniques and using them with your students. Well, I know that, I mean, I, I'm not dyslexic, but I know my brother was, um, and I know he struggled, whereas I just got how to learn a language. It was something that he struggled with throughout his school life. Um, and so through sort of talking with him, I've sort of just adapted the way that I teach to try and work out ways that, that, that he would... Uh, you know, understand. And actually, just seeing how the kids react in the classroom, um, it, you know, if, if you're working with some very, very, um, you know, these kids that are really struggling to understand what, what, what is conjugation, they, you know, they've never even heard of that word, um, you have to take it right back to, um, to basics. And it is song and it is rhyme. And I, again, I always think back to, like we were saying, about how to spell because and necessary. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. finding an equivalent in a foreign language that makes sense to them. 
Well, it sounds like there's a lovely sort of affinity between, you know, the work that Aaron does, but also the way in which education's moving now. As you say, Nina, less coursework, way more emphasis on the exam. So yes. these skills will become more and more uh, necessary. It, it will become uh, so much more important now. I mean, obviously, from September, there's the new language GCSEs and A-levels that come in, and, and the new GCSE will be all based on final exams. There is no coursework where they can just memorise passages of text and produce it on a day. Um, they will have to go into an end of two year exam. Um, so it's going to be more of a challenge. So the, the sooner and the earlier in their schooling life that we can get them yeah. learning with these techniques. Definitely better chance they have. So not being one to uh, miss out on a networking opportunity, yeah. would you sort of welcome Nina, this kind of, you know, programme that, that Aaron is working on and piloting, say, with some students from your school? I, I, I mean, I'd definitely be interested in talking to him about it. I think it's definitely something that we could be using with, with, with some kids in the school, absolutely. Because um, it sounds like he's having great success already. I mean, it sounds fascinating and it's something that I think that um, especially, the, you know, the students around St Albans, Harpenden, they would all respond very well to it. Um, they all want to do well. They all want to be, you know, high achieving and there's so much pressure on them to do well. And um, and, and, I, and I think also, I think a lot of them these days are, are really thinking, well, when it comes to making their options at, you know, 14, 15, um, what do they do? And if they have got that knowledge of how to learn a language, Absolutely. then um, it becomes slightly less daunting. And also, if you get it right, if you understand how to learn a language, you know, learning one or two or three, it's all the same, isn't it? It's just a technique. Absolutely. And, and I always, I mean, I loved languages as well, as did Lydia. And I think that if you love languages, you just think, well, they're a bit, of, you know, they're so much easier to do at GCSE, I felt, than physics or anything like that. So well, well, that's the thing. And I think I actually, um, I had a brainstorm with um, one of my year nine classes today about why they thought languages were important. And they did, they talked about, you know, once you've learned how to learn a language and actually had the confidence to start up a conversation with somebody on holiday or... Um, you know, maybe just start to watch a, a program in French or Spanish or German. Once you've done that in one language and overcome those barriers, then actually you can in later life, you know, no matter where life takes you, start to pick up another language much more easily if they've got those techniques and those skills. And Nina, um, in terms of, you know, are you finding more reticence from students in terms of wanting to do modern languages in general? Or is that just kind of a, a national pattern that's not playing out in Harpenden? Um, no, I think um, it is due to, due to the nature of um, sort of the economic climate. A lot of um, the students locally are very interested in working in finance. They're very interested in going to medicine. Um, and um, they, they, they are w very well educated, the, the kids around here, and they know that actually learning a language, if they want to go to a university, most universities these days will look at a language on the CV and through, you know, through your schooling. Um, and so actually a lot of them are very aware of that around here. Um, so it's not it's not a major issue around here. So everybody's I, I generally think obviously keen. with everything that's happened in the last week, um, I think it's even more important, and I've definitely been stressing that to the kids at school. Um, uh, Nina, two questions I've always wanted to ask yeah. you: Do you do, do do you know anyone who does Italian A level locally? Um, I don't know anybody that does Italian uh, A level. Actually, um, 
No, the only school I think that did it has phased it out. Um, but there, I mean, it is possible. You know, at St George's, we have numerous. Um, obviously, we have you know borders from uh, foreign countries. We have lots of Chinese. We have Russians, and they do their GCSEs and their A levels through us. We don't administer them. We, they do the exams in. in oh, school. I see. Okay, so it's possible to study lots of languages, not just the French, Spanish, German. It is. Yeah, I mean, there's there's numerous tutors around um, that, that can do that, and then the schools can actually facilitate getting the exams with the exam boards okay, and, okay. and organising it. So we do. I mean, we have numerous Chinese, um, Mandarin A level. Um, and can I ask both of you about Latin? Because I'm learning Latin at the minute. Just thought I'd tell everybody that I'm learning <laughs> Latin at 42. Um, what when people say to me, "Why would you want to learn Latin?" I don't really have an answer. I just think like it's kind of important. But what would both both of you are linguists? What would you say about the importance or not of learning la- Latin in a modern day in a contemporary education system, Aaron? I'd, I'd say that you you know there are several different reasons that you could learn Latin for um, as a source language for the Romance languages if you wanted to then sort of focus on French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese. Um, it's also really important as a source language for English and its influence on the English language. There's so much scholarship uh, and, and history that's in Latin itself. So there are lots of different reasons. Um, if you're a doctor, there's a lot of medical terminology in Latin. Or a botanist. Or a botanist. So there are a lot of, lot of different reasons and which one, you know, is, is, is your reason, is, is your reason. But... Um, I think I think just personal interest is also a, a, a good one. What about you, Nina? Did yeah, you- I just echo what Aaron said. I mean, it's it's very much um, that it's about what people are thinking their future will hold and how they will use it. If it is that you have an interest in linguistics um, and how languages evolve and and all link together, then absolutely Latin is vital. Um, also, like Aaron said, you know, if you're going into medicine or um, you know botany, then then it's vital. Um, it's it's, it's a source of, um, you know, of, of many, many languages, and so therefore it's vitally important. I mean, when, when we teach now, I'm, I teach French and German, and regularly you'll come across words, and the students will go, oh, so that's what that word in English means. And it would be exactly the same with Latin, um, probably even more so, um, that they'd be seeing the links between the languages. And something else I wanted to ask, I mean, it does link to it. Aaron's obviously making the learning of language so much, so very exciting. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, if you teach it every single year, French and German, does it ever become sort of dry? Do you ever think, <laughs> gosh, you know, you're giving out worksheets or you're give, you know, going over the verbs again, and how do you keep it exciting for yourself as a teacher? Um, well, I mean, ob- obviously, uh, the classes change, so you get different dynamics in a classroom. Yeah, yeah. So, um, depending on the kids that you have in the class, you might change the way that you're going to teach it slightly. Um, this year, I've actually got a class who are really, um, uh, really creative, and they love to act things out and sing and dance. So, actually, I've given them a project of two weeks, and they're actually going to produce me a music video. Um, <laughs> on verb conjugation. Oh, so, that's fantastic. Um, so you, you do change it, and sometimes, or sometimes you'll come out of a, of a term and go, do you know what, the way I taught that didn't really work, and then you just adapt it. Um, and, you know, the twi- teacher's Twitter is just amazing, especially for languages, um, and pe- the teachers share ideas. Um, so it, it's just an evolving thing. Um, but you really, you, you play off the kids in the class and really respond to how well they react 
do the way you're teaching it, I guess. Arid looked very pleased when you said about the music video for conjugating <laughs> the verse. I, I, I have told the kids that I want to be able to use these in future years. So, um, well, do you know what I love about your approach, Nina? Like, if I was a parent sending my child to St. George's, I love the fact that you are experimenting with new yeah. techniques. You're not, you're flexible. You're interested in different teaching methods for different groups of students. And, you know, you're, it's all about imagine, being imaginative, isn't it? And I think that's the best way to look. As a teacher, you evolve by taking risks, and sometimes it will go wrong. Sometimes it won't work. You just have to say, do you know what? It didn't work. Be open with the kids and say that didn't really work, did it? We'll do it differently tomorrow. Um, and, and that's how you, you know, you evolve with them. And, you know, um, and also being open to sort of technology like Aaron's or, you know, and, and you know, I think it's, I think, do you not agree, Nina, for dyslexic students? We've got to make better progress. Yeah. I mean, because so many of them are so bright and so creative, like we've said, and just seem to just can't, you know, we don't know how to access that, you know, th that genius. Yeah, oh, I mean, completely. I, I was sat with my brother recently, and uh, we were talking about verbs and adjectives, and he said, he said, you know, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. He's, you know, 36 years old. And, um, and I said, and then we started to talk about verb conjugation, and I talked him through... Um, some of the sentences that I'd come up with, and he straight away was like, oh, I could do that now, because he, he could visualize it. He's a very visual person, um, like Aaron was talking about, and he, vis he could straight away see the sentence that I was saying, and he had a picture in his mind, and straight away would have been able to do it. And you just think, if that had happened, you know, yeah, 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very interested as well in behavioural optometry. We've got, you know, there's only 65 behavioural optometrists in the country, believe it or not. But they are very interested in dyslexia and that relationship between the brain and the way in which the eyes reading the text. And there's all sorts of things, vision therapy, colour therapy. And yes. so there's lots of hope out there for parents who've got children who are dyslexic and they're really worried about their reading and writing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I'd say is that um, with some of these spatial memory systems, there is at the very least an alternative way of, of learning. So even if the the difficulty with text and number persists throughout their lives, uh, there is an alternative way of learning all the same material that, that is included in, in the regular curriculum, but just doing it through space and image as opposed to through text and number. Now, if, if, we can, if we can take things further and, and sort of overcome those hurdles with text and number themselves, then that's even more exciting. But at the very least, providing an alternative means is, is, is pretty exciting. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to maybe link you guys up. Definitely. Uh, and uh, it sounds like you've got such a natural interest in dyslexia anyway, Nina. Yes, yeah, it's, um, it's something, well, when, when I was training to teach, um, I taught a number of dyslexic students, so had the time as a teacher, which often many teachers don't have later on when they're on full timetables, I had the time to actually explore it and research it a bit and, wow. and adapt the way I was teaching. Brilliant, so. brilliant. Well, it's lovely to speak to you and to hear all those exciting things <laughs> going on in the foreign language department at St. George's. <laughs> well, yes. I shall, um, I shall see what all, everybody else says tomorrow. And, and you've got not so long till the end of term now, I presume. Oh, no, three weeks. 
Okay. So what do you what do you do the last three weeks? So everybody knows you just sit and watch movies and eat popcorn. <laughs> well you see that's where languages has an advantage because even if they're watching Finding Nemo in French they're still watching it in foreign language. I love it. Three yeah. D learning, brilliant. brilliant. Exactly. Thanks a million, Nina. You're welcome. All Take the best. Care. Take okay, care. Bye. bye. That was Nina Fox, um, and she was the head of languages at St. George's School in Harpenden. So, Aaron, are you heartened to hear that a language teacher or linguist is is taking already beginning to take on board the concepts you're developing? Definitely, definitely. It's very exciting. And I think she, you know, how, how would it work, say, if a school brought you in? Do, do you bring in technology? Do you bring in iPads? Do you... Well, one of the great things about memory techniques is that you can use them just with your imagination. Uh, so, you know, obviously these, these are techniques from the Middle Ages. They didn't have iPads uh-huh, or uh-huh. VR or any, anything like that. So they work very, very well and they're very, uh, robust just using the imagination. Later on, if we, if we bring in VR headsets and that kind of thing, it's just kind of an, an added bonus and it makes things easier to, to demonstrate and to show. But, um, it's just, it's, it's very effective just with imagination. So in a classroom, say, in a hundred years time, you would imagine virtual reality VR to be part and parcel of classroom learning? I can scarcely imagine five years from now, so I have no idea about a hundred yeah, years from now. Mind you, yeah, given the week we've had the best not look through the crystal ball, eh? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, yeah. So, again, how can people get in touch with you, Aaron, if they're just tuning in and they've heard a little bit of the clip? So, through our website, linguisticator.com, uh, you can email me at Aaron, double A-R-O-N, at linguisticator.com. Um, that's probably the best way. And I'm holding something so fabulous, I can hardly describe it. I can put it around my neck. It's an enormous silk, I don't know, square with the entirety it's of like the French language flag. on I, it. it, it I, is I, the, look at this. A French language, a complete map. It's the entire grammar of the language set out in one place. So wow. this is all the patterns, the variations and exceptions put down into, into one place. And, this is and perfect when, Christmas present. When people look at this, <laughs> it's, a, it's a daunting amount of material. And that's why we recommend starting with the memory techniques. Is Because if you start with the memory techniques and you realize how much you can learn quickly by using space and image, then one of these maps doesn't seem Seems so daunting. So daunting. Mm, I have to ask you, why have you chosen the symbol of the the light, the tiger? The tiger for the linguisticator. Um, w- honestly, uh, because tigers are awesome, okay. and language and language is awesome, and that's that's the connection. So nothing deep and meaningful, no medieval symbolism. Or no, anything. well, you could go to heraldry <laughs> and that kind of thing, but uh, no, it's just it's just a it's just a a, a strong, powerful symbol, and, and that's. Uh, what I thought would would represent uh, the company well. And one thing I've learned, another thing I've learned tonight is that Lydia seems to have some um, a, a, a grasp on what was it High German? So middle, the, middle High German. Middle in, High German. We'll have to finish the show with a bit of that and see who else at home. Can God, if I could remember anything, I I did it for any, any Minnesang. <laughs> go on, give I us a bit of German on our. Well, listen, Walter all like Walter von der Vogelweide. Walter von der Vogelweide. Exactly. There you go. If anybody <laughs> tunes in, they'll think, "What's the, that?" Yeah, I don't remember any of it. Do you remember any of it? <laughs> yeah. So of yeah. course he does. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I did my my doctorate on in, in part on. The Nebelungen lead. Oh my god. Und, uns ist in alten Meeren wonders viel gezählt. Okay, von Helden, Lobenbären und großer Arabeen. So nice. Von Froden, Hochgezieten, von Wähnen und von Klagen, von kühne Reckenstrieten. Möge dir nur Wunders hören sagen. 
I, I have okay, actually, actually read and, trans- and I translated that when I was about Beautiful. 19. Wow. wow. That's lovely that's to hear that again, Okay, let's Aaron. hear a little bit of Irish. Go on, just a bit. Could, I, can I, you speak Irish, Aaron? No, no, I can't. Okay, we've got something that you okay. know that he... There we go. That's I just the end said, of our show tonight. That's the end of our show. Aaron, thanks a million for joining us on The Parent Show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So if anybody's listening back, go to our uh, Facebook page and you'll see all the links that we've been talking about. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Neve solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution.